Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. <laughs> uh, so we're back at another uh, another episode. Uh, again, if you hear a weird noise in the background, uh, we have our co-pilot, Bob, with us. He's chewing on a beef cheek, uh, and uh, he's making quite a bit of noise, so we apologize for that. Uh, like I said, we used to try to uh, you know redo these and with all that background noise, but we just kind of gave up on it because he always has to be right at our feet where we are, and a way to keep him occupied is to you know, give him something to chew on, so... Hopefully it's not too distracting, um, you know, but at the same time, uh, I, you know, I've, I, we, you know, when we record these, we always listen to the, you know, the recordings afterwards and you can hear it back there. So hopefully it's not too terrible. And he likes to push that beef cheek up against the, the, the table um, or the table desk here. And it's got this metal um, little rod on the bottom that he just likes to push up against it. So that's why it's making all that noise. Yeah. He's trying to get some leverage and, uh, it, I mean, it's not as bad as it probably could be, I guess. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, you know, uh, but it's connected through the table and the microphones are attached to the table. And of course, the the frame of the table has to be metal. But anyways, he could be barking. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, it, uh, you know, uh, hopefully it's not too annoying for you. Uh, he'll probably change positions in a little bit and it'll go away. So. On this one, uh, we're going to do another question. Uh, we have uh, a kind of a backlog of questions, uh, both you know that come in via, uh, via email and th- and comments through the website, and it is a little time consuming to be able to answer them, uh, you know, one on one, you know. So that's why we decided to do these questions on the podcast, so everybody, you know, everybody get. We have uh, lots of questions to answer, but then everybody gets to benefit from 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 the answer. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Davidson, this one is uh, a question from Stacy. So, why don't you go ahead and read read it? Sure, sure. So, this is from Stacy. Hello, Dr. D. I was on biased eighty twenty ratio, one milligram per mL. I take one click, which is a quarter gram per day. Have been taking that for two and a half months to combat sleep disturbances, low libido, and hot flashes. I also take one hundred milligrams of progesterone capsules at night. After the two and a half months, my breasts were so dense, tender, and sore that I had to stop to get some of the estrogen out of my body. I still get my period intermittently, so I don't think I'm quite finished going through menopause yet. Should I lower my bias dose or take it every other day? Question mark. The hormones do elevate. Um, let's see. The hormones do alleviate my symptoms. It's just that eventually it seems to be too strong. Yeah, so we, I mean, we uh, certainly uh, run into this kind of situation every once in a while. Now, the interesting thing, uh, when she says up at the top, she says uh, eighty. We don't. She doesn't tell us how old she is, but we're assuming, based on the rest of her question, that she's probably in her late forties. Okay, I would assume probably somewhere between you know forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine. I would say something like that. Would you Would you agree, or would you say something different? Uh, yeah, I would say definitely late forties, maybe fifty. 
but definitely late 40s. Yeah, sure. Uh, so she's on biased 80, 21 milligram per gram, and she only takes one click per day. So uh, when she refers to the word click, that's uh, referring to a device called a toppy click. Toppy click, uh, the way I kind of describe it, it's kind of like a deodorant dispenser that has a little dial on the bottom and you turn it, two clicks, and then a little cream comes up the top. Uh, and then you take that cream and then you rub it into your skin. So she's only a typical one gram dosage. Uh, uh, we are kind of discussing this ahead of time and ma making sure that you and I are on the same page. So why don't you break that, that part down, what she's actually taking. So yes, so she's taking the cream, the biased cream. So one milligram is very, um, actually not that high, um, but it does have the 80-20 ratio, meaning that there's 80% estriol and 20% estradiol. So if she's only doing one click, which would equal a quarter of a gram, one fourth of a gram of cream, that would be one fourth of one milligram per ml. She's te technically taking 0.25 milligrams, which would equal, which isn't a lot, but still everybody's different, 0.2 milligrams of the estriol, so E3, 0.2 milligrams of the estriol, and 0.05 milligrams of the estradiol. Now, she does say that this is helping her, which is great, but one thing is, you know, with the bioidentical hormones, it's not co cookie cutter. It's not one size fits all. Everybody is so different. You know, what might work for one person isn't going to work for another person, and that's why it's Definitely, you've got to work with the individual and also work with the doses because she could just be really sensitive to this bias. Yeah, right. And she also mentions that she's still having a cycle intermittently. So in some ways, she's not exactly a 100% candidate because she's still cycling. Now, intermittently, we don't know if that's every other month, every three months, if she's had two periods in the last year. Uh, you know, intermittently means that she's not having one every 30 days. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, her body is still producing some of its own estrogen, which you put, you know, an external source of estrogen on top of that, uh, which is, you know, maybe contributing, but honestly looking at when I read this the first time, uh, you know, it, it's, and that's why we're going to talk about it because it seemed a little bit odd that she's having uh, such a, an intense response from taking such a, a low amount of hormone. And like I said, everybody is sensitive. Everybody's different. She mentions that eventually this seems too strong, which makes sense because she is cycling a bit. So when you're in perimenopause, going into menopause, you know, they're just phases like puberty. Puberty is several years long, just like perimenopause is several years long, which bleeds into menopause, which menopause is several, you know, several years long, po unfortunately, possibly. We want to minimize that. And then there's that post-menopause when the ovaries have for sure definitely retired. Like the ovaries are no longer functioning because she's having a cycle every once in a while. The ovaries are doing something. They're not working full time, but they're working part time or some. So what's happening is when her ovaries decide to make some estrogen, this extra estrogen she's taking exogenously is just making it go up a little bit too high. What I think in Stacy's case, because I, you know, I have so many different patients and some of them are super sensitive and some of them you have to basically, you know, you know, give them so much to make any kind of, you know, reaction happen is I think Stacy might be one of those super sensitive individuals to the estradiol. I think even though it's just such a small, small amount of estradiol, I think the estradiol might be having a, con you know, a contributing factor to this. Uh, like you said too, which is a really good point that eventually it becomes too strong. So I guarantee you that uh, as her, uh, you know, breast tenderness increases, uh, her cycle is probably right around the corner. So those are, those are probably coinciding, uh, you know, 
for the most part at the same time. So uh, it is, like you said, her own production is still, you know, is still there. Uh, but now you add on just even a little bit and now it's kind of putting her over the, over the edge uh, and it's making her really uncomfortable. And when she's talking about, you know, the estrogen, so honestly, like I said, I do think she's sensitive to the estradiol that, and she is having hot flashes. So her estrogen level probably is dropping because like we said, she's probably in her late forties or maybe at 50, you know, at 50, you know, some women are still having a period, but she's probably not beyond 50 years old. So what I would say is the hot flashes more than likely are probably more night sweats because that's what typically happens when someone's going from perimenopause into menopause is they don't necessarily have too many hot flashes during the day necessarily. It really is more about having the hot flashes at night. So they might be getting hot and tossing the covers around. There he is. He's yeah. making noise. Hi, yeah, sorry. He's, he's, he's growling at his uh, <laughs> beef cheek down there. So. <laughs> that darn beef cheek, huh? But anyway, yeah, so she's probably having more hot flashes at night, maybe even some night sweats. So that's why she's taking it once per day. And definitely I would have Stacy take that, est- you know, any whatever type of estrogen she is going to take, take it at night to help her with sleep because that would help with sleep and that would help with the nighttime hot flashes. Right, right, right. Uh, now, uh, like you said, you know, the, the night sweats, the covers are coming on and off and on and off. So now she's waking up probably multiple times. So we've had women over the years, they tell us they're waking up, you know, five, six, seven times a night. I mean, just like every half an hour, every 45 minutes, they're waking up and they might get that little window of sleep right in the morning. Uh, you know, usually between like, you know, five to seven o'clock in the morning, right when they're getting, when they need to get up for the day, uh, they finally get like an hour of decent sleep and then their alarm goes off and they're like literally completely exhausted. So yeah, definitely with the sleep. And and I love just to kind of, hopefully we're not jumping around here too much for you, but I love the progesterone capsules because they do help you sleep. So like she says, I'm taking 100 milligrams of progesterone at night. That does help with sleep. So I, I like that. But just on a side note with the breast tenderness and the soreness is sometimes too much progesterone can actually cause in some individuals that are sensitive, um, weight gain and water weight gain, especially in the breast tissue. So it might even be that her progesterone might be just a little bit too high for her, where 100 milligrams is pretty much you know, like 80%, you know, that's like the most common dose when you're going to do progesterone as bioidentical hormone replacement is a hundred milligrams, but it could be that it's just a little bit too much for her. And what we don't know, it says progesterone hundred milligrams, but there's also the possibility that could be prometrium a hundred milligrams, and that could easily cause breast tenderness. Uh, you know, so if it is not bioidentical progesterone sustained release, um, honestly, with if that was the case, let's just say hypothetically, because she didn't specify that the progesterone was actually permetrium, you get it from a big box pharmacy, and she's taking such a small amount of the bias, it's more related to the permetrium than it would be to the bias. Because prometrium still technically is, it is progesterone. It's, it is progesterone, but there's a lot of fillers in it, and it seems to be quite a bit stronger than when you have it compounded from your compounding pharmacy. So the prometrium definitely, and, and there's only two dosings on prometrium right now. There's only 100 milligrams and 200 milligrams. And some people try to break it in half and reduce it, but it's really just better to have it compounded so you have a clean progesterone capsule. And and like Dr. Mackey said is, 
you don't necessarily want instant release because it goes into your system and it goes right out where the sustained release on the progesterone, taking that at night will stay in your system while you're sleeping. It raises up the GABA, it lowers the cortisol, it helps you sleep throughout the night, and it doesn't have that effect so much on the water weight, which our breast tissue is very sensitive to water weight. Yeah, right. Uh, now, we'd like to think that it is bioidentical progesterone, but the fact that she's on such a low dose of the biased, uh, it just makes me think that that progesterone, which gets passed up, permetrium gets passed off as bioidentical progesterone all the time. Because like you said, technically it is, uh, but we don't prescribe permetrium, you know, very often or hardly ever because most women, they just don't tolerate it very well. And this kind of raises that red flag that, you know, this could be one of those side effects that women seem to experience. So in Stacy's case, I mean, let's say disclaimer, 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 somebody came in with this, you know, with this question, um, what would you first suggest to do? Uh, well, uh, she's, uh, again, she's having, she's having, she's having some definite symptoms, right? She's having uh, a, a very classic perimenopausal transition. She can't sleep. She's having some night sweats, uh, you know, but now, you know, she's in kind of a tough spot between having a regular period and hot flashes uh, but not being able to tolerate the estrogen. That's a really tough spot to be. Uh, thank God we don't run into that situation very often. It only happens you know, in rare instances. That's not necessarily the most common. Uh, so um, like uh, as we were talking about you know, preparing for this episode, um, I would want to investigate the progesterone for sure. Uh, maybe lower the progesterone dose, um, try her on, you know, even go down to 25 milligrams, you know, 50 milligrams, uh, you know, somewhere in there and then, you know, do a simple titration. Uh, now when you're taking the bias with the, with the progesterone, you want to be careful because if you're taking estrogen by itself, she's still intermittently menstruating. So the progesterone is very important because if she's just taking the bias with no progesterone, it's going to, you know, increase bleeding. Uh, it's going to make it in very sporadic. It's, you know, it's just going to make it more unpredictable because that will create growth to the uterine lining, which is what we don't want. So, but as a way to establish tolerance to see, you know, to see how she responds at a lower dose to see if it alleviates and maybe she can acclimate to a higher amount over the period of a couple of weeks. Yeah, probably 75 milligrams, I think would be uh, a good dose for Stacy If she's doing a very low dose of that estrogen, um, you know, the estrogen, that would probably be eventually, she'd probably feel, you know, a lot better on that. The 25, like you said, working our way up would be really great because that way she can see where she feels the best at. But I do think, you know, probably, probably ultimately, I would say, prob wouldn't you like 75, yeah, 80 yeah, milligrams yeah, would probably more be, than likely. would be the ending dose. And then also too, with the, the biased, honestly, I think, her symptoms of the breast tenderness could be coming from the progesterone, but a lot of times it is from estrogen, and it's usually from estradiol, not from estriol, which is E3. It's from the estradiol E2, which is the strongest. So I would even consider taking the estradiol right out of the picture. Yeah, sure. Just do like a straight estriol cream or a straight E3 cream. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, she's not doing hardly any right now. She's doing literally a you know, based on what she wrote here, if this is accurate, she's doing a quarter of a gram or quarter of a milligram daily. Okay. Our usual starting dose for most women is usually, you know, three to five milligrams. But like you said earlier, women are sensitive. So you have to, uh, you have to, uh, you know, you have to take that into consideration and every woman's dose. Uh, now I will say where they start and where they end are two different things. Where they start is different than where they end because eventually she's going to need more estrogen just, you know, just guaranteed because more than likely if she's already having symptoms now, those symptoms are going to continue as over the next, you know, six months to two years. Oh, always. Yeah. No, 
we're not statues. We're not static. Our bodies are changing from seasons, time, you know, what hormones. I mean, yeah, no, no. Like you said, we always check people's blood work. We check in with them often to make sure that, hey, it's time to change the dose. It's time to readjust this, you know, taking into consideration the thyroid and the adrenal. So absolutely, yeah, this would be kind of a starting. It would never be her ending because, you know, things never end. But I would definitely, um, honestly, she would probably be a really good candidate, like suggesting to her doctor to prescribe estriol only. I have several, actually a lot of patients that do really good on just estriol, which is E3, only and they and I even have them do it twice a day because you got to love the bioidentical hormones they're amazing but truly they don't have a very long half-life so if you're going to put on any kind of bioidentical estrogen whether it's estradiol or estriol you know or biased it's you put it on let's say you put it on eight o'clock in the morning really by eight o'clock ten o'clock at night it's going to be pretty much out of your system so I would do an estriol twice a day yeah, sure. Right. Uh, now, uh, again, her, her symptoms, she's having some sleep issues, got low libido, she's got hot flashes. Uh, so we d- what we don't know is anything really about her life situation, right? Is her stress level really high? Uh, you would see this kind of symptom picture in someone that has a relatively high stress level. Uh, so supporting the adrenal function, let's say she can't even tolerate any bias. Let's say we even change or, or we change it just to estriol and she still keeps having the same situation. Supporting adrenal function is another way to, you know, kind of help one help improve the sleep. Uh, and then um, that might have an impact on the hot flashes as well. That's a great suggestion. In fact, I think we should just run on a little tangent on that. So let's say that Stacy is in her late 40s. Okay. And like us late gals in our late 40s, we're kind of stressed out. We've got a lot going on, maybe a little overwhelmed. Uh, you think about sleep disturbances, low libido, even hot flashes, that can all come from the adrenal glands. I even see that in women in their 30s. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, and, uh, you know, in some ways, the the hallmark of going into perimenopause, there is a there's a drop in progesterone production, which uh, there's this pathway, if you want to call it, called the pregnenolone steel. Uh, so your body, it's when there's a lot of stress going on, your body is very discretionary as far as what what things it is going to devote energy to. So the pregnenolone steel, which in functional medicine is kind of a, a common common thing, uh, but especially when a woman's going into perimenopause, her progesterone level is already dropping anyways, but the body will divert all of those basically steroid-based hormones, hormones made from cholesterol, which all the sex hormones are, including cortisol. Cortisol is a steroid-based hormone. Uh, it'll divert all attention towards cortisol. So now you have all this cortisol going around because of life circumstances and not sleeping that compounds the issue. Uh, and there's no progesterone or female hormones really to buffer that out. And now, you know, that's that's the epitome of perimenopausal symptoms. They're just miserable because they have all this cortisol all the time. Exactly. And just to kind of also throw it out there, you know, female libido is really hard. Like you, you boys, you guys, you you're a little bit easier on that libido side, but us gals, we're so complicated, yet we're so worth it, but we're so complicated when it comes to sex drive and libido. So when there's a lot of cortisol going around, there's not enough sleep going on, you're tired during the day, the last t- thing a gal wants to do is even think about sex, let alone engage in that you know, that physical activity. So it could even be that that low libido is coming from the adrenal glands. Yeah, right. Well, when you're, uh, if you think about it from a survival perspective, not that we have to 
worry about that in in America, but you know maybe with all the you know coronavirus stuff, we're you know we're in kind of survival mode. But everyone everyone on a daily basis going to work and taking care of your family and uh, doing the million things that women have to do on a daily basis that does put us in kind of a pseudo fight or flight response. Uh, and that, you know, the, those stress hormones do rise. And when those stress hormones are elevated consistently and lack of sleep basically constitutes as a separate stress because now your body's not able to recharge itself, uh, the libido is going to disappear. Your body's worried about surviving. It's not worrying about thriving or reproducing at that point. So the thoughts on the brain, the desire, and that same thing holds true for men too, right? The more stress men have, their libido runs away for this, for the exactly the same reasons. They just don't, you know, uh, they just don't have any thought or, you know, there's just nothing, nothing there whatsoever. So in, in a case like this, if you get the sleep under control, you get the hot flashes, which affect the sleep, uh, you know, stress, stress is a tough one. How do you tell someone or how do you, there's no, there's no pill you can give someone or there's no supplement or prescription to give someone to help alleviate their stress, right? I this, think it's called wine. Yeah, right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That has its own issues. That can certainly alleviate, or that can exacerbate the, the sleep odd And the sleep disturbances. Yeah, totally. It helps, you know, how many people that we know, they get home from work, they have a, cup, a glass or two of wine, it helps them to shake off the day, but now their sleep is completely, you know, uh, it's going to blow up all night long because they just can't tolerate that anymore. Uh, you know, so you're right. It's it's a very, uh, you know, very much a, uh, a fine line there between, you know, wanting to have some wine at the end of the day or a cocktail or a drink or something. Uh, but, you know, there's some consequences. Or sometimes. sugar for that matter, too, because a lot of times when you're running on high cortisol, you're not hungry during the day. And then you get home and all of a sudden at 730 at night, it's like an extracurricular activity to start eating. And it's not, you know, carrots and celery. It's like, where are the carbs? Where's the sugar? And yeah. then that'll disrupt your sleep. Yeah, right. So it, and, and then of course, if we're doing that on a regular basis, in in a context of a perimenopausal woman, you know, it's really a lot of it is not her fault necessarily because her body is changing in a way that she's not really used to, uh, and that's what we hear from our patients all the time. I mean, I know that you're kind of in the throes of that, you know. Uh, you know, yourself, you know, oh, so. you're going to get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you can really relate, you know, and I could really relate too, because, you know, uh, uh, just teasing, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, a woman's body at this point in her life is going through some very drastic changes. And we hear it all the time when women, uh, they, they don't know what's happening. They go to doctor after doctor, the doctors don't know what's happening. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that we've done a fairly good job of understanding what's going on there. And then more importantly, knowing how to help them. So in this case, we would possibly switch the progesterone to bioidentical if it's prometrium, lower the dose. We would uh, maybe switch the bias from bias to actually just straight estriol, maybe keep the same dosage, but then allow her to kind of play around with that a little bit. And like we said, supporting the adrenal function. Absolutely. Like you said, the adrenals. But but I do think, you know, Stacy, talking to your doc about possibly switching to that estriol only, because E3 is very gentle. Estradiol is very strong. I mean, estradiol is amazing hormone, but it can be a runaway train if you don't rein in that estradiol. So I really think her symptoms might be combined with a little too much progesterone. She's still cycling, so she's still making some hormones on top. And, you know, and maybe, but still not a lot of hormones because she's not cycling every month, it sounds like. But switching to the estradiol, Estriol, estriol being so gentle won't have the effect on the breast tissue. It won't have effect on weight gain and it won't have effects. If anything, the estriol will probably help with that mood, help kind of help with those hot flashes, but not have the negative effects that you see with the estradiol. 
Right. Uh, now, another little trick uh, when it comes to breast tenderness uh, that um, you can use uh, for really at any decade or any point in life for a woman is using a little bit of iodine. Uh, for whatever reason, there's a lot of iodine receptors in the breast tissue using, you know, using not a mega dose of iodine. There's a lot of kind of misinformation about iodine. I have a, a patient right now, and I've had quite a few of them over the last uh, year or so that are, you know, kind of acutely hyperthyroid. We use mega doses of iodine. We're talking in the milligram amount kind of dosages in hyperthyroid cases to basically not shut off thyroid, but kind of calm it down. Uh, uh, most of the time, people don't need those mega doses. If they are deficient, they just need a slight, small amount. Uh, and in this case, what would you, what would we, what would be kind of a dosage you'd recommend for a case like this? You know, I don't, uh, iodine in theory does help with breast tenderness. Um, fibrocystic density iodine is awesome for, but like you said, you got to be careful with it because doing too much iodine can actually, and I know that if you read all over the internet, they say iodine will make your thyroid go high, but it really makes it go low. Some cases it will make it go high. Iodine's a kind of a, an interesting one. You got to be careful with it. But if somebody's having really severe fibrocystic density, doing iodine, you know, very low dose, yeah. Well, the, well, the RDA is 150 micrograms, right? Which is a very minuscule mm -hmm. amount. Uh, but I, we usually, you know, uh, you're, you're Japanese, right? You're Okin your mom's from Okinawa. Uh, so every time we go over to your mom's house and even here, at, you know, even here at our house, we're always uh, consuming some type of soup. Every time we go to your mom, she's putting her uh, wonderfully delicious clam soup in my face that has uh, if you know anything about Japanese cooking, it has uh, kombudashi. So you have uh, some seaweed in there uh, and it's made with uh, bonito flakes, which is basically fish flakes. And you're getting, you know, in some ways that bowl of soup is, I wouldn't say loaded in iodine, but it has a nutritional source of iodine. Uh, and that kind of quantity, very small little incremental amounts if you're having, you know, and that, that kind of soup, that soup base, with the dashi, the kombu dashi, uh, kombu is just a type of seaweed uh, that is uh, going to give you that very low amount on a consistent basis. The body is very good at absorbing absorbing nutrients in that fashion. Yes, the, the sea vegetables are a great way to get a source of iodine. And if your body doesn't want it, it just shuttles it out as opposed to taking a supplement of iodine. And, and, I, and I, like I said, I do think it really helps with fibrocystic density for the breast tissue. But if you're going to take iodine, I do think doing a blood test. I've had plenty of patients that had low iodine. We put them on iodine, do a blood test, and it's too high. Yeah, I would say probably about 1,000 micrograms as a starting point, somewhere between 500 micrograms to 1,000. Uh, and then, like I say, doing an, uh, doing an iodine test just to see where it is. Uh, I mean, it is no surprise iodine is, you know, is a deficiency, you know, in... Um, you know, in America and probably around the world, uh, except for people that live, uh, you know, that consume sea vegetables on a regular basis. And kelp and, you know, kombu, uh, seaweed like that is a great source. Now, nori, the type of seaweed that you wrap on a, a sushi roll, that doesn't necessarily have a great deal of iodine in it. But it tastes so good. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so, uh, now granted, most people are not going to go out. If you're interested in something like that, doing a, you know, doing a kombu dashi, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, it, every time your mom makes me, uh, you know, some clam soup, I'm not, I'm never going to turn it down. It's, it's so good. Well, she loves to feed you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's another little trick, uh, something that you can kind of play around with. Uh, again, just be careful. Don't get up too high. There's some products out there on the market that have, you know, 
6, 10, 15, 20, 25 milligrams of iodine. Uh, we usually like to go somewhere between 500 to 1,000 mic- micrograms of iodine. Okay, so 25, let's say, for example, 25 milligrams is 25,000 micrograms. So be careful with that. A lot of supplements have these mega doses. Uh, what you were referring to earlier, it's called the Chaikoff effect. Iodine, in some instances, can either turn your thyroid on or turn it off. Uh, we've seen in those high doses that it actually tends to kind of reduce thyroid function. That's why we use it in hyperthyroid cases, not necessarily, at least the mega doses in hypothyroid cases. Certain cases. And and also evening primrose oil is really gentle. You can use that as, even for teenagers. Evening primrose oil is great for when those hormones are imbalanced to help with breast tenderness. So, and actually evening primrose oil just in general is great for the breast tissue. So whether you have breast tenderness or you don't, it's just really nice for breast tissue for that density. So I would do, you know, evening primrose oil, usually, you know, disclaimer, 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 but right around a thousand milligrams is a really good dose. 500 to a thousand, really a thousand is the best. If someone has other issues going on in terms of like endometriosis or other, you know, other issues, fibroids and whatnot, then I usually bump that evening primrose oil up to 2000, but a thousand milligrams is really good for the breast tissue. And also we use a lot is a three and all carbonyl and DIM or DIM. That's another one that helps bring down the um, estrogen metabolites. So it doesn't help bring down your estrogen, but everything that gets processed through the liver turns into metabolites that need to be shuttled out. So reducing metabolites can help with that breast, um, kind of tenderness, that breast density. And usually uh, with DIM, you know, I like 100 milligrams and the indole 3 carbonyl, yeah, indole 3 carbonyl, I3C, is usually around 200 milligrams is kind of a nice dose daily for if if you feel like those estrogen metabolites are a little too high. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, a, that's, there, that's pretty, uh, you know, we've covered that pretty well. One last thing I would say about estrogen and like you said about the metabolites is kind of reflect a little bit about liver function, making sure there's no major burden on liver function. So that includes the wine we were talking about, alcohol. That includes coffee. Uh, If she's not sleeping at night, she's going to be tired during the day, so she might be doing more coffee than normal. High Uh, fructose corn syrup. Yeah, uh, certainly high fructose corn syrup, which, uh, you know, causes fatty liver disease. Uh, All those things, the liver cannot be overburdened because then it cannot process all of those things. Uh, And then those metabolites start to shift and build up and it can make a situation like this worse. So uh, that's a lot to uh, talk about. This is a little bit of a longer one than we normally do, but this one is kind of complicated. Uh, you know, on the surface, it seems simple, but once you kind of dive into it, it's, uh, you know, how do you help someone like this when they can't, when they can't, they're having hot flashes. Estrogen is, uh, you know, biased is the best place to start. How do you do that when she can't tolerate it? Uh, you know, so um, I think that we, I think we've hashed it out pretty well. And hopefully if uh, Stacy hears this, I'm sure she will. We'll let her know. Uh, Hopefully this will give her some options that she can uh, investigate and hopefully get some relief. Absolutely. I mean, I could go on and on and on with testing and when to test and how to test, but but I think this was perfect and definitely a shout out to Stacy. <laughs> thank you so much for your question. In fact, all of you, thank you so much for listening and for reading and for sending in your concerns and questions. We love it. Uh, so until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.